This is the Final Fix Podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed. And to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. This is the Final Fix podcast. We are back. We have our very first ever book review uh, over Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry, uh, guest starring our number one background person, Chloe. Hello. Um, I'm excited to be back for this episode. Yeah, we're excited to have you. This is, uh, I mean, really, this is this was your idea. So this is like product of you and a way to engage people. And we'll have um, the t- title of the next book as we leave here and then a way for people to like engage with us. So it'd be cool. Yeah. We'll be cool. Um, so yeah, this you're kind of, we're all figuring this out together right now because we're using a new platform for recording uh just because we had some technical difficulties with the one we were using before and this is our first book review so we'll see how it goes um again we're review or not reviewing but we're just going to be talking about um matthew perry's book obviously with um the tragedy of his passing like this is uh, for each of us it was really hard to get the book and there was kind of a backlog on all the hardcovers and then you know told that the uh, hardcovers are done being produced for now they're working on paperbacks and they're out till march and um it was just kind of a met like when i picked up my copy there was three other people picking up theirs at the same time like we all got the call at literally the same time um the forward is lisa kudrow um who also starred with him on Friends and was pretty funny, unless you're Dominic, then, you know, it's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just going to go ahead and and read from the the first couple lines. Hi, my name is Matthew. Although you may know me by another name, my friends call me Maddie, and I should be dead. If you like, you can consider what you're about to read, a message from beyond, my beyond. Um, I think just the proclamation of like, I should be dead. Uh, anytime you're talking about somebody that has struggled with, uh, using is, I mean, a pretty, pretty common. Um, but the fact that he's such a public person and the fact that we're reading this as he just passed, like that's pretty, pretty heavy. It hits different. And this book actually only came out November 1st last year. So it's been out about a year. That's wild. Oh, I was just going to say that it's just weird considering, you know, with his recent passing, he he says that. And then when we when myself and us read it, he is gone. Right. So it's it's just um, it was a very surreal reading that because it's he he wrote that alive 
as um, not a joke, but like, uh, I should be dead. Like you said, a proclamation and, and here he is, he has passed. So, um, just, it was just surreal reading it. Kind of yeah. soured it for me because, um, it's like a very inspirational thing of recovery. And then, I mean, I, I don't know like the specifics of his passing, but it's just like sad. It's like, man, he went through all of this. And then to know that he passed away is just like super shitty. So young too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's tragic. Well, and to hear like a lot of the health stuff that he had, and we'll get into some of it, but the health issues that he had along the way, you know, due to his uh, abuse, but also like, just shit luck almost like um yeah i mean this so the context of like the opening and beginning part he uh is part he's 49 when he's he's writing this piece i don't know how old he was when he passed so um i mean but you got to think this is in the last couple of years like you guys said it came out a year ago so um i mean by this point, I knew more about drug addiction and alcoholism than any of the coaches and most of the doctors I encountered at these facilities. Unfortunately, such self-knowledge avails you nothing. If the golden ticket to sobriety involved hard work and learned information, this piece would be nothing but a faint, unpleasant memory. To simply stay alive, I had to turn. I had turned myself into a professional patient. Let's not sugarcoat it. At 49, I'm still. I was still afraid to be alone. Like to be such a like known character. Chandler from Friends, like, and be. I mean, at one point he was in the biggest movie and TV show at the same time, and he still like struggled with some of these simple things and like being alone was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just shows like how much of a beast addiction is. Like this, this read really showed me like when you even when you have all the resources that he did, like it is a constant struggle. It is a constant battle. And like, there is no easy way. Like he's, he's a professional patient. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Some people get one opportunity to go to rehab and if they relapse and they pass away from that, you know, and they don't, or they don't have the resources or the money to get to another place to help them recover. Like they're done, you know? And so it shows like, even with all these, all this money that, I mean, it can still take you. I think that, uh, I didn't, I don't remember exactly where he talks about it, but he was, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that, but I think he spent somewhere near $5 million on treatment in his career. Uh, 5 million. Nine. Nine. Oh, damn. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm -hmm. some people can't even afford, a, you know, can't even get in a free bed. Um, and you know, spending nine million dollars—that's just blows my mind. Some people will never touch that money in their life. Most people will never touch that much money in their life. That's he. There's a part where he even said it's later on that mm -hmm. he doesn't know if the money helped him or hurt him. That he had money while being mm -hmm. able to do this. Like, luckily he could get that help, but he could get the drugs too. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that I noted at the end, like, cause he thought there's a couple instances where he talked about uh, like different people uh, that he started his career with and like how he would trade places with them in an instant. Um, and, and that's like, it really goes to show like all the shit that we think is going to make us happy or we think is going to fulfill us. Like none of it really does. Like we have to, it's a conscious effort to, um, to be happy, to figure out, what we really need 
I actually saw Jim Carrey quote today, off topic a little bit. Jim Carrey quoted, I wish that everybody that wanted to be famous and rich got famous and rich to realize it wasn't the answer. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, was like, yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah, he literally says that. Like in yeah. like in the book, he literally says, like, you'll never know until you have it. And like most of you aren't gonna have it. So you'll never know. Yeah. Uh, going back to the book here. Um he's he's talking about um like breaking out of a rehab essentially because he's in a lot of pain but they're trying to say it's drug-seeking behavior um and not letting him go but he was actually having a major medical emergency um uh aaron was asked to leave mere seconds after i had said to her please don't leave then i closed my eyes and they want to open again for two weeks yes that's right a coma ladies and gentlemen and those motherfuckers back at the sober living had tried to block the car. The first thing that happened when I lapsed into a coma was a, I aspirated into my breathing tube, vomiting 10 days worth of toxic shit directly into my lungs. My lungs didn't like that very much. Enter instant pneumonia. And that is when my colon exploded. Let me repeat for those in the back. My colon exploded. I've been accused of being full of shit before, but this time I really was. I'm glad I wasn't there for that. It was almost certain at that point that I was going to die when was I unlucky that my colon exploded or was I lucky that it happened in one room in the one room in Southern California where they could do something about it. Either way, I now faced a seven hour surgery, which at least gave all my loved ones ample time to race to the hospital. Was they arrived, they reached told Matthew has a 2% chance of making it through the night. Everyone was so wrought with emotion that some crumbled to the ground right there in the hospital lobby. I'll have to live out the rest of my days knowing that my mother and others heard those words with me in surgery for at least seven hours and convinced that the hospital would do everything they could. My family and friends went home for the night for some rest while I, my subconscious fought for my life amid the knives and tubes and blood. Like, again, it just to, to go through that as a parent, as a friend, as a, you know, whatever, um, where you, you have these close calls and these things happen. Um, and then you think it's good only to have it like then a couple of years later he passes yeah i mean he talks about his um the repercussions of his actions is like one of the biggest things that haunts him like i mean he'd like he just said like he has to live the rest of his life knowing that his family had to go through that and it's just like i can never imagine having my body fighting against me because i'm so reliant on something but then also in your head you're like i hate myself but i need this because i feel like i'm dying like it, it's literally like impossible to win like i i swear it is so jarring to read this stuff well that's where like the truth of the disease becomes wild and i've been i listen to uh, a lot of podcasts but like burt kreischer if you know him at all like he just had like a sober couple of months or whatever but now he's drinking again and um he's like basically trying to convince himself that he's not an alcoholic and convince everybody else that he's not an alcoholic but um and whatever that's that's his own you know decision or not decision his own uh um assumption to come to and but anyway he like people have this idea that you can just turn it off and turn it on turn and like it's just as simple as stopping but he 
like expressly says like he would get to a good spot and then he would have to you know do the one and like figure out what the the minimum dose was that he needed to survive and then like that wasn't working anymore so he needed up it and up it and up it and it just kept this like cycle kept repeating um i made a note here this is this all happened in 2019 so we're talking four years ago now um so like to go through all this and get good and then like he's just gone I think that's what makes this story so relatable too, to just any kind of user. Like it, he relates to alcohol and pills and it, the way he explains it is so raw, but real and relatable. So. Yeah. And also like, it's relatable to the point where it's like, it's, almost unrelatable like he was the one of the most known people in the world but his like core thing is being alone Mm -hmm. like his core problem is that he didn't feel like like he was scared of of being abandoned he was scared that nobody was going to be there for him but he was one of the most well-known well-liked people in the world i think my not you know favorite part of because this is an actual story but i like that it um it does stem from childhood trauma because I feel like that is something that is overlooked in addiction. And it's like, you don't just end up there. Like something happened or, you know, a lot of the times something happened for those feelings to come out. And like, that's one thing I really liked about this book was that the title is spot on. Like it is like so accurate and perfect but it's just really nice to like see him really um press on the fact that a lot of it came from you know childhood stuff yeah and like it's not like he didn't do the work like he had had the the chance to do the work many times and like he knew kind of knew what was like why things were the way they were but he could never fix it like he he couldn't Mm -hmm. correct it and um yeah but you're right like so much of it does stem from that childhood and then like kind of compounds and never gets like parents are broken people raising us that and we're you know it's just like a fucking yeah. <laughs> like, I mean not... he said he's like my mom was a child who was abandoned by my father like yeah. she was 21 and trying to raise me as a child herself just being abandoned by my dad who wanted to go you know live his dreams he has pictures in the middle and the one of him, his mom feeding him. It, it's literally the um, caption is a baby feeding a baby. Like Chloe, sorry. Yeah, no, it's his connection, like his relate him being relatable and him even like being aware and honest of like what it is. And he mentions it a few times, you know, like little words that are like loner or even his, uh, a only child is he mistook it for a lonely child like his his awareness of it but unawareness of what it is is like devastating also the uh, thing that caught me I talked to Alex about this the other day like that there's like a um, repeated theme of uh, unaccompanied minor that basically like his his dad took off and him and his mom moved to Canada uh back where you know she's from and uh 
then by the time he was like when he was five he went and finally saw his dad but like they just put him on a plane by himself to fly from canada to california and so like he got this label of unaccompanied minor and it like stuck with him um and it's just like this grabbed me because i wasn't five i was 12 uh but like going back and forth across the country by myself so many times like does create this like this feeling of oh i'm cool i'm independent i got this and i never was like an unaccompanied minor because uh i never got like the badge and the person to come like sit me down somewhere like i just got dropped off at the airport and like all right good <laughs> and like i but it, like i figured it out and i just was so used to it but like looking back at that is like is that right like should i have been like as comfortable and confident like i remember having like layovers by myself like 13 14 like just figuring out where the hell i was supposed to go like um and it's just wild to see some of the connections and like realize like how good of a spot that i'm in that I, it could be worse but also like oh god like i was like i there's many times that i see myself in his early story of like oh okay like it's scary um yeah it's it's crazy I, I can't remember what episode we talked about this but like the how close everybody is how one or two changes in your life can put you on a path to do this like to do this to be an addict to abuse something like and we just don't know yeah it takes one person to like hit you with a car in a parking lot <laughs> like literally any or someone run runs over your foot at work on a um, forklift like yeah. you know it's just anything the uh i highlighted this spot this again this is kind of like selfish just like it stuck out to me because I deal with a lot of this like uh, not having a parent on that flight is one of the many things that led to a lifelong feeling of abandonment if I'd been enough they wouldn't have left me unaccompanied right isn't that how all this was supposed to work the other kids had parents with them I had a sign in a magazine like yeah um yeah I, it's you know Dom you hit it perfect like just the um childhood trauma the generational trauma and like the stuff that repeats um later on he talked about conversations with his mom in which i think um they were beginning to work on things figure things out uh but he like has a point where he does kind of show his mom some empathy uh where he's like if i had a baby at 21 i would have tried to drink it she did her best and that says a lot about her but still she simply wasn't ready for the responsibility and I wasn't ready to deal with anything being just born and all. I mean, he literally says like, why is she not drinking? Like, Oh yeah. Like he, cause even at that age, like so early, long, early on, he associates drinking with medicine almost like he, he talked about it as if it was medicine. And it's like, um, uh, I recently ran into like a little thing where, you know, I got asked like, oh, do you drink? And said, no, or well, I'm not 21, but I said, no, like I don't drink at all. And like the, the look that you get that it's almost confusing that I don't poison myself on purpose. It's like, it is so crazy to me that that's not how it's associated. It's associated as like fun. Like it's, it's yeah. like, it's a good thing. It, yeah. I don't know. I just, um, 
I really related to that because it just happened to me and I read that and I was like that no like that's not we're, we're on the opposite sides here like it should not be like that so perfect segue he he begins to talk about the first time that he ever drank uh, with some friends uh, I'm trying to see I didn't mark it I can't remember if it had how old he was 14 14 yeah the Murray brother. <laughs> yeah, within 15 minutes, all the alcohol was gone. The Murrays uh, were puking around me, and I just lay in the grass, and something happened to me. That thing that makes me bodily and mentally different from my fellows occurred. I was laying back in the grass and in the mud and looking at the moon surrounded by fresh Murray puke, and I realized that for the first time in my life, nothing bothered me. The world made sense. It wasn't bent and crazy. I was complete at peace. I'd never been happier than in that moment. This is the answer, I thought. This is what I've been missing. This is how normal people must feel all the time. I don't have any problems. It's all gone. I don't need attention. I'm taken care of. I'm fine. I was in bliss. I had no problem for those three hours. I wasn't abandoned. I wasn't fighting with my mom. I wasn't doing lousy in school. I wasn't wondering what life was all about and my place in it. It took everything away or took away everything. I'm not dyslexic, but there's going to be times where I just <laughs> get a little uh, twisty. I think yeah. that's another another point right there. You know, he's, he, he says, I don't need attention. Um, I'm, I am taken care of. I'm fine. And it, it just goes back to the that constant feeling of an abandonment, you know, from he's 14 at this point, but you know going back to five years old being left alone on an airplane it's just it's constantly going back to abandonment yeah well in the um like people the one thing that separates humans is like we will adapt more than most other species so like we'll find something to fill whatever we're dealing with and most of the time like people that again like people that are struggling with substance abuse like are just a step away or others i guess are a step away from that like you could be addicted to video games or addicted to you know being like work um you know whatever it is like we're gonna find something to fill that void to find that meaning yeah the uh i know chloe you have some notes on page 35 too but um like i just at the bottom wrote fuck this all resonates with me going back and forth so much yeah before we jump to 35 i just had a on 33 i had a it, it struck me because it's, he says the key to the problem i would come to understand was this i lacked both spiritual guidelines and the ability to enjoy anything but at the same time i was an excitement addict and this is such a toxic combination i can't even and it stuck with me because i think he talks about it later in the i know he does the fact that he is self-aware that he cannot enjoy anything, but he's addicted to excitement. So he knows that even if he's a, he's addicted to seeking out that excitement and that um, that thrill, even though he's not going to enjoy it, he's still addicted to to getting there. Yeah. Um, and so it's in that sense, it's not necessarily a substance, but he's just he's addicted to to feeling something that he can't physically feel. Yeah. That's like a, um, you see this like mental health too, like, mm -hmm. you know, just the desire, the want to feel anything or nothing. Like, I don't know how to describe that. Like, um, 
I know a lot of people that refuse to get on any sort of medicine because they don't want to lose like your highs are high, your lows are low. And if you take medicine, you don't feel those, but you, you know, if, you don't have I mean, the lows that are bad, but you also don't get to feel the highs that are really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the repercussions that the lows, like what come with the lows for some people yeah. cannot be, it can't be just deal with it. Like, it, yeah. like they will not be here with us anymore. If they no, have to, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, yeah. that that mean, I mean, it's shitty. <laughs> like, no one wants that. What you just read, Alex, jumps out to me, like, along with some of the stuff that John was talking about in the last episode, the, um, I don't know if it ended up making it in there. Like, I talked about, um, like, having the hard spiritual piece. And, like, later on, we find out more, uh in um matthew perry's like belief in god uh but like just any sort of spiritual aspect um plays such a role in anybody in everybody's life like some sort of connection to something bigger than yourself like not even like i hate i hate religion but (laughs) like some sort of connection to um even just looking at the stars and realizing how small we are like just having understanding our place i guess all right that was just really random Uh, i had the same part um marked alex as the that it's called anhedonia which Mm. i never knew that there was actually a word for that but after hearing that and the way he explains it does make a lot of sense on a lot of different addicts habits or um mannerisms like I think that does play a big part in why they do things sometimes like not knowing that it's I guess well drugs also do that to you 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 start using and he talks about it you get to the high and you want to keep reaching that but to keep reaching that then you have to add more or Mm -hmm. more drink more pills whatever it is and then you're still chasing that and you don't know why or what you're chasing anymore after so long. Yeah. The wild thing is like his hard line with heroin, like and not using heroin. Um, and like, I, I just thinking about like with our mom, like the fact that she was using heroin, like, and how she alive. <laughs> like, Didn't he say he didn't do it because the words scared him? <laughs> is that, what he's- that was initial but i it like he goes into like why he knew he he would love it Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. well he talks about chris farley too like uh Mm -hmm. that uh another unfortunate you know loss yeah product of a of an addiction yeah that and then him drinking at 14 was the next thing that i had written down but uh to top like so he had his first drink at 14 he didn't drink the next day and he said he would but he didn't by 18 so that's only four years he's drinking every night he says he drinks every night by 18 and he's in LA by the time he moves to his with his dad I mean that description of that description of what he's um, felt when he did drink for the first time like how could you not chase that you know Uh, I mean and like you said, like it just adds and adds and adds, and then you like lose yourself, and it's just like it's um 
it's really it, it's real you know like uh you can tell and we talk about it like with our mom like it progressed it wasn't just it, it something happened one day and then it was over from there like it just it, it progressed and it, it takes a long time uh for some people to get like that and it's just like four years like four years is nothing <laughs> yeah not in the long use in the long view of his use like that is just a little like nothing yeah and it's it's terrible but it could be worse like four years on the street using is like like from the start start i mean some people don't even make it that long like they start using it within a year they're, they're gone um yeah this podcast is sponsored by better help is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have clinical mental health issues, like, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online. It's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in the description. It's betterhelp.com backslash final fix. Clicking that link helps support this channel, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you don't really fit with that therapist, which is a common thing with therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing out about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com backslash final fix. Thank you again better help for supporting our podcast the next thing that i have highlighted um is page 39 so if anybody has anything before that we can okay um basically at this point he's in a rehab in new york he's lost his two front teeth um and there all he wanted is a cigarette he couldn't get a cigarette he had the opportunity to like sneak by to escape and he gets into the stairwell um and he's like essentially losing it um he was like uh, i can't to this day describe what was going on except that i was in a sort of panic confusion kind of a fugue state and there was that intense pain again um and like it <laughs> essentially he has like a crisis, like a mental health crisis. Like it, it just, he snaps. And I think it really points to um, everything coming to a head uh, a little bit of context. I don't know if we've mentioned this, like at one point he was one of the top tennis players in Canada. I don't know shit about tennis, uh, but there's like, you'll see there's tennis language. Um, I'll never be able to fully explain what happened next, but all of a sudden I started slamming my head against the wall as hard as humanly possible. 15 love slam, 30 love slam, 40 love slam, game, ace after ace, volley after perfect volley, my head, the ball, the wall, the cement core, all the pain lobbed up but short. 
me reaching up, smashing my head against the wall, blood and cement and on the wall and all over my face, completing the grand slam, the umpire screaming, game, set and match, unaccompanied minor, six love, needs love, six love, scared of love. There was blood everywhere. Like, <laughs> it's just, again, like all of this is just 40 years in the making of shit that he's like hung on to and he'll get it like we'll get into every person that he's with like he leaves because he's scared that they're going to leave him because his, his dad left him his mom was the assistant to the prime minister of canada like and she was not available for him because she was trying to figure her own shit out like you can't fault anybody here but understanding how much things weigh and, and you have to deal with them because they will continue to be there forever well and this mental break that he he has is because he can't have a cigarette yeah and that's and stairwells are also a common theme in the book that if you get it and pick it up and read it it's he ties it to a few different parts of his life too um it's kind of off topic because uh it was over a cigarette but um, he really shows like the resilience of someone in active addiction like uh, in the book like he makes it he kind of makes it seem like he's like always complaining he said that he's like narcissistic and stuff like that but to show up um, to work and be in the biggest sitcom at the time and to have a great performance and to still put on a show it's just like it, it's and again, obviously tying it back to mom, but, you know, she was in active addiction, still like trying to take care of me. And it's just like, uh, it's just crazy that someone can be going through that and still put on like a, put on a smile, you know? It's like finding the band-aid that's not going to cover the cut. Like they're, they're just doing what they can to try to get by just stopping the bleeding not solving the problem interesting it doesn't spend a whole lot of um real deep time like he, he mentioned his his dad having um having an issue with drinking um but that he didn't feel like he was an alcoholic he just didn't have a good relationship with it um because he like years later my father too would take his own meaningful walk. He had a bad night on the drink where he fell through some bushes or something. And he talked to Debbie about it with his wife uh, the following morning. And she said, is this the way you want to live your life? And he said, no. Then he went for a walk and quit drinking and hasn't had a drop since. Excuse me, you went for a walk and quit drinking? Uh, I've spent upward of 7 million trying to get sober. I've been to 6,000 AA meetings, not an exaggeration, more an educated guest. I've been to rehab 15 times. I've been in mental institutions, gone to therapy twice a week for 30 years, been at death store, and you went for a fucking walk. Like, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, we've talked about the nature versus nurture argument before with like, if you have addiction in your family, you have substance abuse in your family, like the uh, likelihood of that continuing on, passing on. Uh, I There definitely is like, choice in it uh but it is a disease also and i wonder how much 
initially, I guess, in his genetics were like from family and not just trauma? So there is a part he talks about his grandfather never oh, drinking right. because his great grandfather was a horrible drunk. So his grandpa lived to like 96 and never touched a drop of alcohol. That's but then right. his dad drank and didn't seem to have a problem with wedding if he can just take a walk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's but, right. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So he does yeah. mention that. I mean, don't know about his mom's side, but. Yeah. It's. That might be more of the trauma side. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like he's definitely got mommy issues. Like you see that through mm-hmm. his whole love life. Doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the whole choice thing is like I like Papa Jim, for example, that man would smoke cigarettes when he drank. And I'm presuming when I wasn't around, you'd have a drink almost every night. So he'd be smoking every night. And then I don't think I saw him smoke my his first cigarette until I was like 14. And then we went on this trip for three weeks and he didn't touch a cigarette. And I finally asked him, and I'm like, you know, I soon smoke. He's like, oh, well, if I, you know, I just you're around so I don't smoke and I'm like the the self-control like some people have it and some people yeah. don't like just don't <laughs> you know it just blows my mind that you know that, like yeah and then he didn't and then he didn't yeah and then he, control that. then he didn't he's like yeah fuck it <laughs> yeah then he didn't care anymore once you hit you know retirement I guess <laughs> yeah I yeah I remember that like never seeing him smoke and then we were in the car and he would smoke because like he's like driving and it would help keep him awake, keep him awake keep him good. Yeah. yeah it really like shows like different journeys though like the uh the just taking a walk thing it's like what the fuck <laughs> like yeah. i mean you know how many people would love to be able to do that and just be done with it like he really shows like in this book that uh even if addiction is a selfish thing that, you know, he says um, addicts aren't bad people, like period, you know, and it's just like, you're really, uh, they're really, um, I guess, demonized in the public eye, you know, and it's, it's just like a, it's a sad thing because, you know, he's Matthew Perry and he's Chandler and, you know, we have sympathy for him, but, you know, it's a lot of people don't have sympathy for, you know, the people that are on the street that they drive past every single day. Yeah. Like what separates him from the guy on the corner, other than the fact that he was on friends, like he wants to be the guy on the corner. He, he yeah. says like, he's like, yeah. he's a guy, have a, a friend that has diabetes, doesn't work, um, is on government housing. He's like, I would do anything to trade places with him. And then that's when he goes into it again. He's like, I doesn't sound true but it like i promise you it is real and it's just like fuck dude like well that's the thing like this this hits me um also in like i guess it could be look kind of shitty but like the people that continue to um like support people that are abusing or like giving money giving money giving money or you know doing whatever it's like none of that will ever solve or fix somebody that's dealing with this like this he he spent you know nine million seven whatever he spent like millions of dollars on treatment and couldn't get it right like it i don't know like 
helping people isn't just throwing money at a problem because that's not the way that it's going to get fixed. Uh, a conflicting feeling I had with reading this was that um, even with all the help, uh, he talks about gratitude. Gratitude was a big thing. Um, and he said that that was a really big part of him getting through it. But he also got hypnotized, you know, like the most expensive hypnotist in the world. He had to go to him, you know, probably 20 times, like because, he, you know, he had to bounce back into sessions and sessions and stuff. And it's just like, it's like how I, I can't tell what really made him, you know, get better. Like, I, I genuinely cannot tell because he did spend all that money and he did get the hypnotist and all this stuff. But then, you know, he does say that it was a lot of self healing as well. And it's like a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do all that stuff. So it's like, it's really, it was hard to read that. Cause I'm like, fuck dude, like that, that's sad. That's the thing is like, you got to cut out all the bullshit. Like you got to cut out like what is going to like scientifically, what's going to work for everybody. Like what's going to, what's the lowest common denominator that will help people. But you can't do that because everybody's different and every drug reacts differently with your brain, everything like, and again, genetics play into it. Like his dad could take a walk and quit drinking, but like, there's no fucking way he's doing that. <laughs> like, even I, like I've made the joke, like, uh, like I don't have a great relationship with booze. I am not, I don't feel like I'm an alcoholic. I, I'm not like anywhere near any of this stuff, but I don't think that I could take a walk and just decide like I'm never going to drink again in my life like that to me that's crazy still and um yeah like figuring out what it is for anybody is the magic key right there like if you're a drug counselor and like that that's your job is to figure out what it is I think what's crazy especially for him is like one of the biggest things that everyone says is, well, you just got to stop hanging out with the people that you use it around or you He's just by like, himself. you, you got to cut those people out. But what he says, he enjoyed it by himself. Yeah. So how is that? That doesn't help. Like you can't cut people out when you just enjoy doing it by yourself or you feel like you need it more when you're by yourself. You know, it's just, there, there's no one answer. It's wild. Uh, yeah jumping forward a little bit uh but we we brought up heroin already like uh, i would have loved heroin it was my opiate addiction on steroids i've often said that taking oxycontin is like replacing your blood with warm honey but with heroin i can i would imagine you are the honey i love the feeling of opiates but something about the word heroin always scared me and it's because of that fear that i'm still alive today there's Two kinds of drug addicts, the ones who want to go up and the ones who want to go down. I can never understand the Coke guys. Why would anyone want to feel more present, more busy? I was a downer guy. I wanted to melt on the couch and feel wonderful while watching movies over and over again. I was a quiet addict, not the bull in the china shop kind. Like, again, that just speaks to, like, he's not going to, he's not trying to go do party drugs. Like, he's, he's going to go drink by himself. He just wanted to feel better. Like, like he said, like he just wanted to feel better. Yeah. Uh, and that shit really fucked me up. Cause it's like, you know, it's not that simple. And it's like, I, I feel like I take for granted the fact that, you know, I'm not addicted to something and I still feel like, you know, I, I have all these things that make me happy, like genuinely happy without 
having to do these things so it's just like it's like fuck dude like that's uh that's just that's that's rough it makes me wonder like if how much of this could change if you were to like grab the 15 year old matt perry and like start working on some of this stuff or like if he had a kid and got to 15 would his kid be like you dom and like have these same feelings of like hey like i'm seeing this this shit i'm so like more self-aware and like starting to do this work but like where again like it's just such a weird uh dynamic of where people end up and why like well, I think him saying that he wants to, he'd rather melt into the couch and watch movies over and over again, and goes back to when he said that the first time he drank, he finally felt normal, and I think he even says in the next page, he, he says that he didn't become an alcoholic right then, but it definitely sowed the seed, and that was him, like, forever chasing that initial feeling of everything was okay uh which unfortunately he had that feeling after drinking so that's just as you know writes the story yeah i mean we talked about that before you know like we're creatures of habit like alex you talk about you know i felt good today what did i do oh i went at a you know i mean related back to when we were teenagers fucking uh dr pepper and starbucks kids like and great yeah (laughs) drinking dr pepper right now (laughs) like it just we again we find that thing that we think is gonna save us when he said that uh he was smoking 60 cigarettes or 50 no that was 55 pills it was an insane amount of cigarettes yeah, three packs yeah and then he uh he said that and then i went down to 10 because 10 is really all you need after that it's just habit and it's like to do something yeah. that destroys your body that much out of habit um and i like catch myself too like there'll be times like especially during the weekend because i have my uh my screen time on for social media there'll be times during the weekend where it's just like oh nope skip just keep scrolling keep scrolling and it's just like it's it's a habit like you just you just do it it's a part of normal life it's and it's like brooke gives me shit because i i've been off social media for a couple months but like i'll look at uh, the Associated Press website or like our local news station and I'll just scroll on the news. <laughs> so like it, it's just like built into us at this point. He talks about how he sees an article about Charlie Sheen and this is like right before he starts um, filming Friends about how Charlie Sheen's in trouble again and it was like a gossip column and he says he's famous. Why does he care? And it's like he has that mindset already before his fame but then when it comes to him and how public his troubles were it was just a weird foreshadow for him to throw in especially about charlie sheen who you see is more publicly i feel like a little worse than matthew perry was yeah i mean he there's a lot of mentions of like him being in rehab in the news and stuff and but like i don't remember I, get, I don't know. I guess I was a kid. But it was never that much attention, but like it wasn't. It was never a scandal. Like there was yeah. never a. Yeah, I'll never forget. Actually, no. This is perfect because I remember uh, running around the skating rink 
um, with Riley and like drinking Shark's blood, Mountain Dew Code Red, and like talking about Charlie Sheen, like Tiger's blood. And like, I remember, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so like, I guess there is relevance. Like I do remember some of the um, craziness. I remember a little bit about when he was filming Friends, hearing about his drinking problem, but I don't remember like, I mean, at that time I'm like eight or nine. So like I remember and I hear a little bit of tabloids, but I don't think I really even understood at that point what the problem was. And like he's going to rehab and okay. Like I didn't I didn't understand that even as a tabloid back then. Yeah. Um one thing I don't know what page this is on. I don't think it's that far in the book, but uh one thing I wanted to read was uh, when I try to work out how sobriety and addiction works for me, I keep coming back to this line. I'm capable of, of staying sober unless anything happens. Uh, that shit <laughs> was like, fuck, dude, because you, so you go through so many attempts um, and then, you know, you relapse and then your relapse is part of the reason that you don't want to stay sober. It's like, how unfair is that? You know, it's just like, and it also goes back to like the mental health aspect of it or the, you know, childhood trauma aspect it's just like anything goes wrong like you have your medicine like he said he's like why aren't you drinking it's like that's what that's what you do when you feel bad you drink and it's just like it's so messed up because even as a child like that is put into your brain yeah i'm looking at go before you jump ahead i i did have something noted a ways back but um he when he's talking about uh, he said, I can't decide if I actually like people. And this, this, this next paragraph kind of hit me because it's, it's funny. I always say I can't stand people, right? Like I can't, like, I, I have people that I like and, but the general public, I just like, I just have this distaste for people. And I think that's Papa Jim, but whatever. Um, but the paragraph reads, people have needs. They lie, they cheat, they oh, steal or worse. They want to talk about themselves alcohol was my best friend because it never wanted to talk about itself it was just always there the mute dog at my heel gazing up at me always ready to go on a walk it took away so much of the pain including the fact uh, that when I was alone I was lonely and that when I was with people I was lonely too it made movies better songs better it made me better it was it made me comfortable with where I was instead of wishing I was somewhere anywhere else um and that's just like mind-blowing to me that he just it was his best he uh, attributed to his best friend yeah i do have something to bring up uh so i watch so after i've never seen friends uh you know say whatever you want about that but you know not my generation so i'll let all you old people have that one <laughs> but um <laughs> easy there one piece <laughs> um but literally in the first three episodes he uh his character chandler um picks up he starts smoking again right um it's like this big thing and they all give him crap for it uh and then ross literally says well you you know you got to remember what happened to the last time you quit and he's like well i'll just never quit and it's like <laughs> literally the first three episodes into this show that you know was not related to that at all it, it had that storyline in it and it's I'm like sure i understand oh sorry <laughs> but I, it was just crazy to me i was watching that like in awe like i thought it was like a joke 
it's crazy like hindsight and you, you can look at this with anything the um like the good things that happen and like where we were at right before the good things happen and wishing they would or like when something bad happened like just the the jokes the the storyline that's happening in our lives um in relation to like i mean 2018 was like one of the worst years of my life and but it led to like my wife and i getting together and like i was just tucking my daughter into bed and like her cuddling me putting her hand on my face and i'm like i would go through all of the bad shit that i've ever gone because if you change anything like she might not be here right now and i think that that can apply to anything and everything like um Mm -hmm. yeah like it's a tragedy that he passed um he has this amazing story that he got on paper before he passed though Mm -hmm. and we have an opportunity to read it and share it not that like we're doing a big push for his book sales but like um it's like what if he would have died and none of this would have been out yeah like you can't yeah i mean even the fact that it came out and he passed away afterwards it's just like uh in like the shittiest way it's like that helped it get out more uh and it's it's gonna do so much good because it got out because of that like obviously terrible reason no one wants that but there is like that silver lining that it's gonna help so many people and i i mean if you read the book you can tell like that's exactly what he wanted like exactly what he wanted so it's just it's it's a nice feeling to know that even in the past in his passing uh he's gonna he's doing so much good for for people right now mm-hmm. that was the, the one thing he wanted to be known for was over yeah. friends was helping people and he yeah. found so much joy and help or so much like fulfillment in helping other people get sober even though he couldn't do it himself and he was helping so many people yeah that's a shitty feeling for sure holy i can never imagine that the the wild thing was like as i was reading it and like you know he would reference things and i would go to look them up and they would like automatically pop up like one of the first hits so it just made me think how many people are reading this right now and like looking things up as they're going to for it to be the first search result like the first Mm -hmm. thing that automatically populates before i'm even done or my phone is just way in tune with what's in my brain but (laughs) mine did the same thing when i was looking um things up for him the book like um i was looking up some of the people and stuff yeah it's funny when you say you were watching it dom because now i want to go back and watch it and oh yeah i added it to my list well just because it's like funny because he says uh in, in the pictures, uh, he says, note to the reader, if I had a goatee, I was on Vicodin or any other kind of opiate. So now I want to go back and watch the show and see, and I don't know for the show if they like made them shave or if they made him have a certain look, but I think it'd be interesting to go back and see if there was any point in the show where he like, was like rocking a goatee for a while, right? Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, so it's like he's it's saying, seven, right? he, yeah, he's saying it, he was basically on opiates that while he <laughs> that whole time so it's just interesting to go back and watch it and at that with that like in mind it would well, be interesting to go back and watch it with the whole storyline like the first season so he's only drinking in that season mm-hmm. you know and then like how it progresses each season to because i have watched the whole se- series 
I'm a Friends <laughs> fan, but um, it now I want to go back at it with this different view of like his personal life. Because when you watch things, you don't think about what they're going through in mm -hmm. their personal life at that time. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he talks about him being uh, super skinny between season the end of season three or the beginning is oh you know 120 pounds yeah right and it's just like everyone could tell but no one's gonna say anything to me and it's just like but seeing that you you're watching the show you're like damn he lost a lot of weight like i wonder if he got sick or something and then it's mm -hmm. just like like when before chadwick boseman passed away and uh no one knew that he had cancer everyone was like was making fun of him dude Mm -hmm. And obviously this is the day of social media and stuff like that. And you're under a huge microscope all the time, but it's just like, dude, you never know. Like you really never know what someone's going through. Well, like it, it's just to the point, like you, like it was just said that you don't know. We only see, it's funny how you like watch a movie or you watch, you know, say you're a huge Denzel fan or a huge Matthew Perry fan and you watch everything they've ever been that only equals what six days of their entire life <laughs> you know like you have no idea like he spent millions of dollars on rehab and he's been to treatment 15 times and you're like well what do you mean he was in seven seasons of friends he was fine <laughs> you know like or whatever is you just don't you just don't realize that there's a whole that's it's fake the, t the tv's fake right yeah. so it's just it, perspective. So that let's go back to the book because I'm right mm -hmm. at that kind of point where he gets his the um jet ski accident. Mm -hmm. So uh it's after season one and um he is filming Fool's Rush In. And they're in like the Vegas area. So he's at Lake Mead and he has a jet ski accident. And um, so he gets back from um, gets back from the water and he has to go back to filming a big scene. And so he the crew knew he was struggling. So he called a doctor that came into his trailer and handed him a plastic package with one pill and just said, take this when you're done and everything will be fine. He takes the pill. He stashes it for later and then that just starts the whole thing he remembers taking it and thinking if it doesn't kill him then he's doing it again and then uh you go down two paragraphs and it's a year and a half later he's taking 55 of those pills and weighs 128 pounds as he checks into his first rehab he had gotten down to 128 pounds um, his fluctu his weight fluctuated between 128 and 225 during the years of friends. I haven't weighed 128 pounds since high school. Like, like it's maybe he's, he's a lot taller. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Bro, I haven't weighed 128 since like the fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, season by the end of season three, I was spending most of my time figuring out how to get 55 Vikings in the day. I had to have 55 every day, otherwise I'd get so sick. Was a full time job making calls, seeing doctors, faking migraines, finding crooked nurses who would give me what I needed. Like, I can't even fathom the logistics to get fifty five a day. Because, yeah, that's wild. But this, uh, I actually took a picture of this page. Like, took a picture of it because I really wanted to talk about it. Um, when he was talking about 
uh, I need eight to get home. Then I'll be there oh, for yeah. three hours. So I need four more, bro. That was literally my, like my thought process when I had my kidney stone and I had to take my, uh, well, I forgot what I took. Um, oxycodone, oxy something. Hydrocodone. Hydrocodone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I tried not to pay attention to it because they gave me uh they gave me Narcan with it and it freaked me out. But like literally I I scheduled my whole life around the pain. Like like it was when I read that, I was like, that, that is insane to me because it was the worst feeling ever. Like knowing that in two hours, like if I don't take this pill right now, like in two hours, I'm gonna be in the worst pain of my life like fuck dude like i'm at every single day of that every single day it's wild that he says when he's talking about his weight he says uh, in the final episode you'll see that i'm wearing a white shirt and tan slacks and both look three sizes too big for me and then he talks about how when he's talking about his weight and he says if you go back and you watch the final episode he's wearing the same clothes and they fit <laughs> so like that's it's Interesting. Now I want to watch it because I like. Well, I went and looked those pictures up, like looked oh, really? up in the episode, and there's one where he's like sitting in a chair, kind of like hunched, and I'm like, oh, my, like he it skeletal. And he says it again. When I have a goatee, lots of pills. <laughs> I think that. I mean, we talked about the like, what is it that that you need to get better, um, like, or what pushes you over the edge. Uh, I think that, yeah, the fame and money never fixed him, but I also don't think he would have survived without, like, with without friends, without you know the group of people that he that he had during some of these times. Um, like he was scared of being alone, but the I don't say he was never truly alone, but like I think that he had people that he could lean on if he, but he didn't realize, um, which is often the case, like that we don't realize how much we mean until we're gone. Um, which is unfortunate, but like, re- and yeah, I don't know. It's just such a hard thing to think about. Like you always can't be all things to all people at all times, but realizing that sometimes people are struggling and just need that uh, friendship or that, you know, text, that call, whatever. Uh, yeah, page uh, 126. In nature, when a penguin is injured, the other penguins group around it and prop it up until it's better. This is what my co-stars on Friends did for me. There's times on set where I was extremely hungover and Jenna Courtner, Courtney, being devoted to cardio, the cure-all, had a life cycle exercise bike installed backstage. Uh, in between takes, I'd head back there and ride that thing like the fires of hell were chasing me. Anything to get my brain power back to normal. I was the injured penguin, but I was determined not to let these wonderful people and this show down. So like, it also plays to that, like people pleaser wanting to get the approval um, to, oh man, like there's just so much mental health stuff that's tied in with addiction. Like you can't have one without the other. So there was one thing I wanted to read on page 122 and it's um he's talking about alcoholism and like as soon as it goes into how you were just saying that about asking for help um as soon as you raise your hand and say i'm having a problem 
alcohol sneers. You're going to say something about it? Fine. I'll go away for a while, but I'll be back. Like, that is, that is how it is. Like, some people that do acknowledge their problem, it's like, oh, well, you're going to acknowledge it. I can hide it. I can mask it for a little bit, but I'll be back. Like, I, if you don't actually know what's going on, like, it sneaks back up into your life. Yeah. Alcohol especially. Like, I feel like because it's so, you know, socially accepted and stuff that it's like, it's always around you. Like, you don't really have to seek out alcohol at all. Like, you go anywhere, like, in a public outing, you go grocery shopping, and it's in grocery stores now. Like, you know, like... Uh, yeah, I was just in Costco. Like, like yeah. I, just in Costco, and people, everybody buying the giant, you know, half gallons. Okay. And, yeah, like, <laughs> liquor stores, like... I mean, there's not a lot of liquor stores around here. They're all in grocery stores. Like, you know, you go into the wrong aisle trying to get, you know, a frozen item and you're smack dab right in front of you is the thing that's like ruining your life. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's a, a lot of states. It's states laws are different if they can be sold in grocery stores, like in the Bible Belt, you're not going to find it anywhere down there. Yeah. Indiana, they, I mean, we just got Sunday alcohol sales like a, a couple of years ago. Like they didn't even sell alcohol on Sundays until a couple of years ago. And now it's like just between noon and eight on Sundays. Like that's the only time you can buy it. Um, now you can go to like go to places and get served. Uh, but like as far as buying it, but it, I mean, we still have liquor stores here, but also like it is in all the grocery stores. I don't know. Like it's like a weird moral thing. It's like, you know, like everyone says that it's the drug dealer's fault, right? But it's like at the same time, like you can go to a doctor and he talks about it a lot in the book and just lie, yeah. you know, and Back it's and, yeah. And, and he literally says he's like, I could sue these people for so much money, but it's it's not worth it. But it's like and he says it multiple times. He's like, I was lying and I he had a surgery because of opiates and then to help him recover from the surgery they gave him a bunch of opiates and it's just like dude like that's fucking there's like there has to be a different way was it was it cat that told us that when she went to the hospital oh yeah they gave her shit they gave her they a hard gave, time. yeah they were giving her a hard time that she was just but i don't remember what she was there it was for her knee or something like that when she hurt herself playing yeah and she went in and they had already had a file on her from before and it's like it was the most embarrassing thing of her life because she knew it was the same doctor or whatever but anyways yeah the next thing i have is the chris farley thing again hmm. um so we kind of touched on that but when chris farley died of his overdose he had to they had just finished filming a movie almost heroes together and he had to go and promote the movie and talk about chris farley's addiction and problems with drugs and alcohol while publicly being high and not being able to talk about his problem with this same thing. Yeah, that's that had to have been so hard to just travel and like because he talked very highly of Chris Farley. I think Chris Farley would have been a really cool dude. Like, yeah. That had to have been really personal for him at the time, too. I think there's like a a magic superpower of compartmentalization that like a lot of people like the second you become addicted to something like to be able to put it in a box and like i it does take over your life but you see this so much like like mom 
like I don't, I don't have a problem like i don't know what you're talking about like just the denial to this and, day <laughs> yeah compartmentalization of of just it it had to have been really hard because of how he looked up to chris farley but at the same time it was like well he had a problem i don't have a problem like i'm taking care of my stuff like yeah <sighs> it's like i feel like the amount of you know no one can speak i, I mean i i don't know how hypocritical what i would feel extremely hypocritical like talking about it but yeah hiding my own problems that would be i'd feel like shit personally but yeah it makes you wonder if at any point like during that period because he doesn't he talks about it but he doesn't say if it was any catalyst for change for him Mm -hmm. um like that specifically because yeah like to take a stance against drugs at that point would have probably been the like the right thing to do like publicly you know whatever or to embrace um organizations that work towards helping people recover um i don't know like that's just what i would see now i think there is also the flip side of the coin you know playing devil's advocate in the sense of somebody that's in an addiction trying to justify their actions or justify their behavior, there might be the thought process of, well, maybe I'm not that bad because I'm dealing with this too, but I, I didn't, I haven't done too much to kill myself or done too much to overdose or, you know, um, so maybe I'm not as bad as I think, you know, there's that self-justification. It's like, okay, maybe my problem isn't that bad because that didn't happen to me. Uh, you know, who knows what's going through your head at that time, but. So, at this time in the book, he's talking about um, serving Sarah, his movie. And I'm, do, have you guys seen that? Have any of you guys seen it? Me neither. I'm very curious to see it now. After it the sounded way- it sounded really familiar, but I don't I don't know. I looked up the like the the movie title and I didn't recognize it or like nothing came to me, so I didn't know if you guys had seen it. Because now I'm curious, but. Um, so he talks about his movie and serving Sarah and how he's, um, just laying there hanging out with one of his friends and she just looks at him and says, it looks like you're disappearing. And he's like, I don't want to disappear. And there's a quote earlier in the book that he gets from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's, uh, he read that drinkers think that they are trying to escape but really they're trying to overcome a mental disorder they didn't know they had and so after the serving Sarah part it kind of is when he gets that real life check of that too in his own life I feel like that's he does talk about the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous a few times in here and he uh but I don't think he read that on until later in life. Cause right. It says he read that 10 years later at this point, but I think that was part of his work too. He did finally was reading that book. But um, at this time at serving Sarah is when he picked up the book. So it yeah. is because he says right here that these men are not drinking to escape. They're drinking to overcome a craving that they're, that uh, is beyond their mental control. The, I mean, he mentions the, uh, like, essentially being an expert of the 12 steps, um, which I think the 12 steps are great, but um, 
again, like some of this stuff doesn't serve everybody. Like, like mm -hmm. one thing is not going to be the fix all for everybody um, dealing with these things. Yeah, like he also says, uh, the first day they said, go to your room. You're not taking any more drugs when he gets to the Marina Del Rey rehab or the detox center. And he says, go to your room and don't breathe. You might as well say, go to your room and don't breathe anymore. But I have to breathe to live. So like, <laughs> yeah, that's just go, don't do drugs anymore. It's that easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, he finally connects that to like a, a mental control for some people like he realized I think that's where it clicks for him too that it it's it's a disease that he can't have as much control as he thinks he can compared to the other people that he sees that just don't drink or don't have alcohol in their house which he talks about at some point which is weird to him yeah the interlude that follows like right here um addiction is like the joker it just wants to see the world burn um it's such a like it's such a good reference because if uh like seeing looking back uh, so i went down like a trailer deep dive and watched every trailer like every movie trailer of everything that matthew perry had been in and then um like as i was looking things up i went and watched like the scene in batman where and the references to batman are kind of funny in here um because that ties into like him and his dad's relationship but the um like yeah like sometimes there's no there's no reason there's no reason to why chaos happens like it's just it's chaos it's that's the way it's supposed to be like that's addiction yeah we talk about the genetic disposition we talk about the choices that lead to it but like if somebody's addicted like there's not always like it doesn't make sense they just are like it just is chaos it just wants to see the world burn um yeah it's like like how do we i find myself thinking whenever we're uh talking or like especially with reading this book it's just like how can i not give someone like more benefit of the doubt you know it's like after reading like about this monster that has taken over this person a very successful person's life it's like how can i not give someone the benefit of the doubt that they are trying and that they are just they're just losing the battle for now he he was losing the battle so he first detox at 26 correct he died at 54 that is only 28 years right right so even in through you know his early 20s he was still troubled but like bro 28 years like of battling like that is just incredible to me and it's just like it's just like uh you don't know how long someone's going to be around you know he talks about it so many times that he thought he was going to die or he felt like he was going to die and yeah. it's just like if someone that's living on the street right now or you know i guarantee someone on the street that is or that's living on the street right now is going through something similar they are detoxing they are trying to find their next fix and it's just like, how can I not like have more empathy for them? It's just like, or how can I not be more appreciative of the fucking easy ass life that I have? I mean, that that was my next uh, point that I marked. Like, I can't stop. And if I didn't get a hold of this soon, it was going to kill me. 
like I had a monster in my brain, a monster who wanted to get me alone and convince me that uh, to have that first drink or pill and that monster would engulf me. Like you're right. Like that. Um, basically like until we've done this and recovered from it, how the fuck can we say anything about somebody that's going through it? No. There's no I can, I can, I can, like, we can be mad about at, at mom, like, because it's it wasn't fair to us as kids, because uh, that's not right. Well, but, but I we can have empathy for the person that is dealing with it because we've never dealt with it. Um, no. I mean, we're not standing here on on high like we've forgiven everybody or that we understand this all like it's uh it's constant constant battle i i mean i've had an episode on this podcast so if you've gone back and listened to my episode you know that i've used multiple different substances but i i there were things that i hear and i could relate to and i remember like experiencing firsthand kind of things and then it's like But I'm so grateful that I wasn't as bad or he says at one point that it he's deep in addiction is what he said, I think is how he phrases it. And I guess I'm just so grateful that I never had to experience that depth because he talks about the deeper you go, the more people you can help if they've gone that deep. But if there's someone that's gone deeper than him, he doesn't know how to help them. And so it does. It's it's weird how the disease of addiction works and affects everybody different at different. It holds people at different grips for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the same thing with his dad being able to walk, take a walk, and be done drinking, versus him. No way and no shot in hell was that going to work for him. It just, yeah. Yeah, he has this one quote in his book on page 142. It's the first line and it says, but I was still so often just a tourist in sobriety. Yeah. Which I think that this is like, that makes it so hard. Um, Almost like the more that you do it, the more that you get sober and recover, um, the harder the actual recovery ends up being because like he if you aren't really like wanting to, you know how to play the game and get through mm-hmm. like being a, that's the epitome. Like he was a tourist. Uh, like he knew what to say to get what he wanted. He knew what to say to get through it. To, yeah. Bro, when right. talked about, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I saw uh, a quote and I can't remember. It was a, irrelevant but it did say that the the easiest part about getting sober is the day you decide to get sober and and i don't know that firsthand obviously but i wish i could remember who said that but speaks to that it's like when you're like okay i'm done i'm gonna get sober you're probably still a little bit high so you're like okay i can do this and that probably is the easiest statement to yourself is i'm getting get sober but then everything that ensues like you just said the, the more sober you get the harder it gets um like i said I've never experienced that, but I just thought that kind of hits exactly what you're saying. 
that's kind of how he talks about detox. Like it's easier to say, yeah, I, I'll quit. And then tomorrow when detox hits and he says, that's the worst thing he's ever experienced in his life, mm -hmm. but then to still do it 65 times, yeah. mm -hmm. like that's easier said than done. When he was talking about uh, Dilaudid and he said, uh, it's now my new favorite drug. Uh, I like at the time, uh, it didn't really hit me as hard because I was going through it. But when I had my kidney stone, and I was literally squirming in the hospital bed and I could not get comfortable. Like you just, you feel like you want to crawl out of your own skin. Like everything hurts, everything sucks. And when they gave me the IV and uh, I got the dose of the uh, um, like I understand what he meant. I wasn't going through a detox at all, um, but I was very uncomfortable. And I didn't want to feel how I was feeling. And they gave me this magical, like, and I cannot say this enough. It was the most magical feeling I've ever felt in my life. Like it was euphoric. Like he said, like you literally go from everything sucks. You can't get your mind off the pain to literally your, your veins go cold and your whole body just, just releases all the tension that you had. And it's just like, I keep thinking back to like getting that, um, getting the IV and it's just like, it freaks me out because why would I not chase that? You know? And, and if my brain was wired differently, why would I not go to the ER and seek stuff that would do that to me or go on the street and seek stuff that would do that to me? Like it's, uh, it's just a slippery slope. It's just uh, crazy to me because that feeling was so, it was fucking dope. Like, it was great. It's just, a, it's a scary thought. Yeah, he was single again. Um, just had like the flop that was the whole ten yards, um, and he started again drinking and using. Uh, despite despite how it may appear, I was never suicidal. Thank God, I never actually wanted to die. In fact, in the back of my mind, I always had some semblance of hope. That's so crazy to me. Um, but if dying was a consequence of getting to take the quantity of drugs I needed, then death was something I was going to have to accept. That's how skewed my thinking had become. I was able to hold those two things in my mind in the same time. I don't want to die, but if I have to in order to get sufficient drugs on board, then amen to oblivion. I can distinctly remember holding pills in my hand and thinking, this could kill me, and then taking them anyway. Like the... Again, like going back to the uh, taking the medicine that helps you not feel the low, but then you don't feel the high or not taking the medicine and hitting that low and being gone. Like the constant seeking out that feeling that you were just talking about, Dominic, like, or that, that approval, that whatever it is, like they just are there's so much overlap between abuse and like a shit in your head yeah i mean you're like what yeah like you're one bad day from going and buying you know like a drink and like drowning your sorrows and then it becoming every night because it helped you was it, did we talk about it on the podcast where like the kids were, 
like somebody some kids brought vapes to school and then were yeah. smoking them and, and they were had fentanyl yeah it was like stanwood the like that kind of shit like that's it's so crazy that people can even be like addicts and, with the prevalence of that kind of stuff um because like everybody would just be dying like you would think like yeah but i also know like i'm not gonna say names but i know somebody that like went and like they would look for stuff with fentanyl because they mm-hmm. that was that was their thing yeah it's um I, I don't understand the whole I don't understand how that's not basically attempted murder in that situation <laughs> right yeah. like how is that not especially somebody who's not an addict who has zero tolerance and yeah I don't know or I do want uh Chloe to go over that list with the uh the names of the the drugs uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the substances, that's the word I was thinking of, and then yeah. the reason he was taking them, because he, go, he goes on this whole tangent that he was taking this for this, and then that for that, and you know, to have it all listed out, that's going to be, that's going to be crazy. That happens so often, like, with, not just with people that abuse, like, with, like, anything, like, you take something for one thing, and it gives you a side effect, and then you take something else, like, it's, like, our system's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I had a couple other parts marked, but we've gotten into so much of it that is, um, I guess, hold on a second, let me look at what the last one is. The book jumps around a lot in his timeline, so it's hard to either stay on track of his timeline or in track in the book. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly it jumps around a lot um yeah. i just i just happened to flip the page over from the last one that you were just read jordan and it i just saw this paragraph that says had my habit killed me it would have killed the wrong person i wasn't fully me yet it was just parts of me but not the best parts either yeah. so he even says like if he would have died he knows that he would have died unfulfilled yes. if he would have let it take you take even him. even if he even if he never like figured it out fully for himself, like the amount of people that we you know we talked about, the amount of people that he's ha- that he helped get sober and like helped at least start that process, like that's and how public his his addiction was, um, you got to think like it's got to be in the millions of people that were affected and either changed the way that they thought about it. I mean, it's still like it's not. It's not over. Like he he's gone, but like yeah. he's still changing people. Yeah, like Alex said, like I'm I'm very glad that he he was able to get the book out. I mean, that's uh I mean reading is uh such a powerful thing. You know, being able to sit down and read a book is an extremely powerful thing to get information and to hit home like at what you're trying to uh you know no trying to say in the text no matter when like i'm you know we have this that is and everything is from the last 40 years yeah we have we have like 
I have books that are thousands of years old, like that and, and everything in between. Like I'm listening to the audiobook for George Washington's life right now and uh super random. But uh <laughs> like there's when it's out like this, like it's forever, essentially. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, yeah, like you could lose stuff because fires or whatever. Um, but like things that nothing is truly disappearing <laughs> like yeah there's there's everything um unless you guys have something to throw in, i, I just want to read like the last like the closing of the book and then we can kind of riff for a minute and talk and um go through the drugs cool cool i did have one part where he talks about in um he goes to the cirque lodge for his for rehab at one point and I think that is the one that really changed a lot of his mental clarity and understanding on the disease. Uh, they they did the 12 steps with him and part of their mantra was discover, uncover, and discard, which I think is just the simplest way to put like breath work or not breath work, um, shadow work, shadow work that I talked about on my episode. It's kind yeah. of this thing. It's discovering his triggers and his trauma to uncover why he does and dumps every woman he's ever dated out of fear and then like discard it, like deal with it, embrace it, but let it go now yeah. and move on. And I think that's where he starts really realizing that he helps people and that in that facility is when he starts helping other people in the facility also get sober, even though that's what he's there for. Yeah. He's helping the other patients. And then that's when his, I think that's when his work really starts and then he goes into um working with that guy earl h that he mentions yeah which was an interesting relationship but um did you guys happen to watch his um interview on the what is that show called the news Um, oh, Newsnight. I was on the wrong page. His um, when he has that interview with the guy and tries to convince him that um, addiction isn't a disease. Oh yeah, no, I piqued my interest obviously, and I looked up all the different people. Uh, and that guy is actually dead too. Uh, the guy that was being a dick to him, but um, yeah. no, I didn't watch the entirety of it. It it, it was interesting. Um, I recommend everybody that's listening to should just go watch that just to understand how there's always going to be people who don't understand addiction. Like people will always say that it's like made up in your head and it's all a choice. Like you chose to take the drink, you chose to do the drug, like that was all your choice. It's not any chemical difference. Um, and this episode, it was this one guest versus the host and um, Matthew Perry and one other lady was on their hosting and they were just like, like dumbfounded by the his understanding of it. Yeah. Like he had none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, the back to that last treatment center, am I thinking correctly? Um, did they have like role playing at? in that do you talk about that or am i thinking about a different time because i know like that's something big with trauma uh, and the body keeps the score they talk about that the um mm-hmm. 
like having basically like situations that are stuck in your head where and you know you're doing a group work and you're essentially you're putting people in these positions to be the person in your family during that situation and then you can talk to each one of those people and say what you wish they would have done in that situation and then play it out correctly like all right we're going to do this again but this is what i want you to do this is what i want you to do this is what i want you to do and then you're like helping your inner child um deal with it did am i remembering did they do that or no was that in that meditation center i think i remember him i i swear i remember them talking like he he was talking to one guy he was talking to a person um he had to write down those names right is that what you're talking about he had to write down he had 68 names of people who hurt him Mm -hmm. um and he was talking to them i yeah i think that might have yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but yeah. I don't know if it was the same place. I, yeah, I don't know if it was the one where he mentions is on the coast or if that there's so many. They're flawed, <laughs> right? Um, where they all are, because I mean, he mentions one in Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, yeah, California, Colorado. few Colorado, Utah, yeah. Um, yeah, again, like Chloe mentioned, like it jumps around a bit, but there's so much um, that you just have to read it. Like, who am I going to be? Whoever it is, I will take it on as a man who has finally acquired the taste for life. I fought that taste, man. I fought it hard. But in the end, admitting defeat was winning. Addiction, the big terrible thing, is far too powerful for anyone to defeat alone. But together, one day at a time, we can beat it down. The one thing I got right was that I never gave up. I never raised my hands and said, that's it. I can't take it anymore. You win. And because of that, I stand tall now, ready for whatever comes next. Someday, you too might be called upon to do something important. So be ready for it. And whatever happens, just think, what would Batman do and do that? It's, uh, I want to hear the list, but like, I don't know. Like, again, just the public person that he was um it's so weird to to read about some of these struggles that we would have had no idea about and if he was any other non-celebrity like would we give it the time of day yeah it's like i mean frankly the short answer probably is no (laughs) right like there's just no way that that unfortunately you have to have that platform and i you know unfortunately he's passed but i think that the platform that he can continue to influence now because of his book but i was just going to say reading this i felt like he was you know ironically i felt like i was sitting at a bar listening to somebody tell me their life story or like you know sitting around a table and somebody was just talking to me I feel like that's how I read this book. And so I highly recommend that it didn't, it didn't seem like, Oh my God, you know, how many more pages are left? It's like, he's telling you his, it's just really well written. Um, Most books that jump around, I automatically don't like because it's just confusing, but it just fits. He, he, they did a really good job. He did a really good job and um, glad that we chose to read it. Yeah. Good job, Chloe. Yes. Uh, yeah, we don't own the rights to any of this, by the way. Uh, Flat Iron Books is the publisher. Uh, again, title, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. 
Um, so you need to get a copy. Yes. I also listened to that podcast you sent or you recommended us, Jordan. I thought that was really good to listen to too if you uh, wanted kind of a quick refresh of the book or if you've already read it or if you don't want to actually read it. That was a good... He touches on most of the main things that we just touched on. Yeah. The... Um, I forget what it's called. It's, yeah. Uh, he mentions one thing in that that I thought was very interesting and I, I highly agree with now is that Alcoholics Anonymous shouldn't be anonymous. If more people were open about it and more people weren't not, if it wasn't treated like Fight Club, mm -hmm. it probably would be a lot easier to talk about and help people. And I think that is a big thing that if just simply as little as taking the anonymous out of it and letting people know more, kind of like what you guys are doing what we are doing yes yes um yeah again like we yeah i we've talked about it a lot the whole premise of this is to like start the conversation yeah. to to help the kid versions of ourselves who have no idea anything about this or the parent whose child is suffering or the person that's beginning their journey with sobriety or you know whatever um that's uh all it takes is one conversation um and that's, and that's all that's what he's doing that's what he wanted with the book it was just getting it out there and talking about it and helping people it's all he wants to do and that's this is how you do it. You have to talk about it. You have to spread the knowledge and the awareness of it. Yeah. Absolutely. What, uh, let's hear that list. What was he using? Shit, I was just going to say, let's hear that list. All right. So we got, it's not in order and it's not exactly accurate on how much he was taking of everything either. Cause he does not get into details about a lot of it. Uh, just that most of the substances he was using was a misuse mm -hmm. than doctor recommended. So the Vicodin, we obviously knew he was taking Vicodin, which is um, hydrocodone. It's a painkiller, but it's an opiate and it's sometimes classified as a narcotic. Uh, so then you have hydro, he mentions hydrocodone, which is just another version of Vicodin. Um, the phenobarbital which is what he was given at 30 days old. We didn't talk about that part of the book, but oh, at 30 wow. days old, he was prescribed phenobarbital because he could not sleep because he had colic. And in the 60s, that's how you fixed it. That's um, a huge part. We skipped that, but yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So he does mention later on going on to use it to sleep because it is, um, it's a seizure medicine also. So it can be used prescribed for um drug withdrawals um but it also helps to sleep and anxiety so i don't know if when he was taking it it was for anxiety or if it was uh drug withdrawal or for fun for <laughs> um mentions propofol which oh, michael jackson yeah, it was the Michael Jackson drug, and he he says he understands why Michael Jackson loved it. The feeling and the being nothing. Lack there of feeling. <laughs> like, yes, the yeah. nothing. 
Um, because so propofol is a anesthetic and used as a sedation drug. Um, he mentions his ketamine drip at one point when he is in a rehab facility, which is used as a disassociative anesthetic. Um, I think at the time he was using it for drug withdrawals, though, because uh, it was he mentions it hooked up as an IV at the time when he's in the hospital. Yeah, and if he's scared of heroin, he's not using anything from IV. Yeah. Uh, he mentions taking uh, Ativan uh, a little later on, which is just lorazepam. It's an anxiety medicine. Um, it's also used for seizures. Uh, Valium, diazepam. It's an anxiety seizure medicine also that is prescribed for alcohol withdrawal. So, uh, the uses for that make me wonder why he was using it at the time he was. Was it for the anxiety, the alcohol withdrawal symptoms, or for fun? <laughs> like, the thing with, like, so many of the, um, like, anti-anxiety, anti-depression drugs uh like even doctor even like the professionals don't know why they work they just know that they work i mean like how many of these drugs that's how it is like we can chemically understand what it does but why it has the effect that it does is kind of a mystery or how they can have multiple uses like it's it's for anxiety but like seizures like those are different diagnoses yeah. kind of a thing. Um, I know it comes down to like- I have anxiety. I've never had a seizure in my life. Right. <laughs> but I also know that, um, I know that I used to, I used to have really bad headaches um, in high school and uh, they would prescribe me antidepressants for my headaches, which also didn't make sense, but- it's weird how they use different drugs for different things. So I would, if I could ask him, I would want to know why he was using them for what. Uh, then you have the Xanax. Again, Xanax is an anti-anxiety panic attack. I mean, that unfortunately was a normal word in my home. So... That's another one. It's an antidepressant, but people do use it for fun. So it's, that is almost the most relatable to alcohol, I think. Like for, it's just normalized in a way that's like, oh, you're, you're, you can't go here, take a Xanax. You can't do this, take a Xanax. Yeah. I mean, there's rappers who's like, isn't it? little little Zan. Yeah, I don't know shit about like some of these guys, but I'm pretty sure like is that named after them. Yeah. So it's like that that's a whole nother drug that's interesting. But um the last two that I have on the list for him was the buburnorphine and suboxin, which are the detox drugs that help you get off of uh, opiates. But again like should be used for a short period to transition yes 
Um, he does talk about how they work in his book too, how they um, attach to your uh, cells. So you can't, if you were to, if you were on Suboxone or buprenorphine uh, type of medicine and you do use a heroin or an opiate, it will physically make you extremely sick. Um, and so it's a detox drug and uh, Suboxone I have experience with. If you go back and listen to my episode, that's what um, my ex at the time had used to get off. So I remember it being a very much, um, it's a timed out, you, you take this much, this many milligrams, you have to wait this long before you can either take more Suboxone or use. And then um, you are supposed to wean off of it, but slowly because it does have an opioid in it, which is what's suppressing your withdrawal symptoms, but not making you addictive. And so you've got to wean off that too. And at one point he mentions trying to get off Suboxone and having an almost 36 day stretch of feeling suicidal. So yeah. it's, you have alcoholism and these, these drugs that are supposed to help you now too with opioids, but the, it goes back to just the pharmaceutical. Yeah. It's like, it's, if you, if you're using Suboxone or these other drugs to get off of what you're using, but then you misuse those, you can get addicted to those and, and you physically need those. So, you know, I mean, it's the lesser of two evils maybe, um, it's just everything can be abused. It's just the will to get better or the want, I should say. You can abuse diet and exercise. You can abuse, you know, your job. If Gambling. You, yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't talk about that kind of stuff enough. But overall, like, I'd recommend this to anybody who's curious about the world of substance abuse and addiction and being a celebrity while in the middle of all of it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i feel uh i feel bad for people who want to be famous that's uh that's got to be a terrible feeling yeah i just want to disappear be, be left alone <laughs> yeah he prayed for fame like yeah, yeah. he said do whatever you thing. want yeah do whatever you want to me I just want to be famous. And he says, he's like, oh, he had something. He had I something. think he said he cashed in on that or something he, like that. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a good read though. It's a, it's a great read, honestly. Like Alex said, like it was a very easy, casual book to read. It was like so real. So it was straight to the point, like every single page, some crazy shit was happening. Like, you don't you don't get bored of this book at all. No. Um, another thing I learned in that podcast episode that I listened to from Jordan. Oh, and I have the name of that. Um, he mentions that he records the audiobook. So if you do download the audiobook instead oh, of buying okay. a physical one, it's him telling his story in his words. Like I I don't know if listening to that and hearing this would hit different because like the emotion behind it. But uh, that podcast episode is from the heart of the matter with uh, Matthew Perry on his addiction journey. Uh, again, it's friends, lovers, and the big terrible thing published by uh, Flatiron Books, um, obviously by Matthew Perry. Um, 
find it in the, well, try to find it at any major bookseller, uh, Amazon, you name it. Um, so we alluded to it earlier. We're going to be doing this regularly. So once a month we'll be doing, covering a different book. Um, and it's going to work out that it's coming out this Friday on the first, but, uh, we'll try to do like each, each month on the first is when the, the book episode will come out regardless of another episode or not. Um, it won't it'll be a standalone thing uh but we will have alex's setting up a discord uh, basically so that people can follow along um and be involved in discussion throughout the month and we'll kind of break up each book so that we can you know talk a short form um in the discord server um it's pretty simple i'm I don't want to say I'm tech illiterate, but I'm not like I've never used Discord before and I have figured it out. Um, so uh, go, don't be afraid to jump on and play around with it and communicate with us. It'll be a good way uh, for us to engage and kind of have these conversations. But then we still will do like a long episode where we're covering uh, whatever we're reading. Uh, the next one we're going to jump into kind of the world of uh, cocaine and um and it takes a little bit of a different approach. I obviously haven't started reading it yet, but it's from the um, from the view of a investigative uh, journalist's approach. And instead of investigating something else, he's investigating himself. So he's analyzing uh, different interviews that he did um, and kind of going into his um, his story. It's like you know the the cover says a reporter investigates the darkest story of his life his own uh the book is called the night of the gun it's by david carr and unfortunately he's no longer with us either um but it's i promise we'll pick a book of somebody that is living at some point um but it it's a little bit of a, a longer book but the way that it's broken up uh seems to flow really well and it will be good for uh, our discussion and uh, I think it'll be cool to um, tackle it from the angle that he tackles it because um, especially like with how prevalent true crime podcasts and some of that stuff is like, I think the investigative journalist approach to substance abuse will be interesting, um, especially as he's analyzing his own story from that lens. Well, that has been another episode of the final fix podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. We just want to let you know that we appreciate you listening and that we love you. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.